And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. EFL is cancelled. April Fools! This is the Totally Football League show Easter extravaganza special in association with Paddy Power. Yes, I'm your host, Ali Maxwell. Delighted that this weekend is an Easter feaster of EFL action, as is my good friend and colleague, George Ellick. Hello, George. How are you doing? Please, could you walk me and the listener through what's going on on today's show? Yeah, absolutely. This is the Easter Feaster, where we are going to be looking at the run in, putting the big run until the end of the season under the lens, looking at the biggest games from the Easter weekend. We've chosen two teams each from each league and looking at them in depth as to what they've got coming up this weekend and for the rest of the season too. We've also got a cracking interview with Manchester United loanee at MK Don's Ethan Laird, a brilliant character and somebody that I really enjoyed speaking to. So plenty to get through today. Okay, with hope and excitement in our hearts, we're going to kick off our Feaster weekend preview with the championship, of course. George, before I get into my first team, what were the parameters for your choices? <laughs> Teams who I find really interesting, Ali. No, I mean, it, it, was, it wasn't as simple as that, but I think now is the time to look at sides who... Maybe the the narratives around the sides um, doing very well and who are going to be getting promoted kind of forgets that there are a couple who maybe things have been a bit shaky for, but that's not to say they still can't achieve good things going forward. Or maybe even a couple of teams down towards the bottom of the table who people have written off. And I'm looking to to maybe say that it's not time to uh, to close the curtains quite yet. So <laughs> just looking to, to shine the light on, on areas there where there is little light shone, Ali. That's been my point of view here. You've always been my favourite narrative buster in EFL terms. But no, you're, you're right to say that there's, there's a lot of flies in a lot of ointment still to come in the EFL season. And look, we wanted to make sure that across these three leagues, looking ahead at two fixtures over the weekend, we covered top playoffs and bottom. And that was pretty easy to do, to be honest, because the fixtures themselves are so good and because all of those questions across all three leagues are still very much open. I'm going to start with Brentford, who have a bit of a weird weekend in that they are playing Saturday and Tuesday, Huddersfield away on Sat, Birmingham at home on Tuesday, uh, when everyone else, pretty much everyone else, is playing Friday and Monday. So I think there's an interesting psychological aspect to this. All Brentford will be focusing on right now is catching Watford. They are seven points back with a game in hand. And Watford obviously playing the day before them both times this Easter. I'm going to find it interesting to analyse how Watford's results impact the mentality and I suppose the composure of Brentford. They're on an interesting run, which there's been quite a lot of negativity around it. Uh, Looking at it objectively, three wins, two draws and one defeat. 
in last in the last six games. It, it doesn't look too bad on paper. But of course, when you're fighting for automatic promotion and you're aiming for that two points per game number, it's not enough at this stage of the season. And it's compounded by giving away leads in their last two games against Derby and Forest. That is always going to make fans a little bit twitchy. But unsurprisingly, Thomas Frank is nothing of the sort. He remains bullish as ever, called their performance against Nottingham Forest almost spotless. And yeah, I mean, clearly they are going to be heavy favourites for both of these games. Paddy Power has them at four to five to beat Huddersfield on Saturday and four to nine to beat Birmingham. But as we know, it's never quite as simple as that. I, I think the game against Huddersfield on Saturday lunchtime should suit Brentford in that Huddersfield, they want to play, you know, actually playing a possession game and attacking the opposition is playing to their strengths. Their strengths are not in sitting deep, flooding their defensive third and, you know, hoping for a miracle, hoping for a goal on the counter. So I think they'll attack Brentford and that would then in turn give Bees some opposition, uh, some opportunities rather to to hit Huddersfield on the counter, which is where they're so deadly. Birmingham's a, a different one entirely. They're a bit of a bogey team for Brentford. They haven't managed to beat them in their last five games, despite generally being favourites for all of them. But Lee Bowyer's game plan for that one will be quite interesting. He's also not known in a fairly short managerial spell so far for, again, sitting deep, restricting the opposition. You know, I think Birmingham might have a bit of a go as well. So fascinating setup for, for Brentford this weekend. Will Josh De Silva be fit? He's missed a few games, but when his hip injury was first announced, the club said he'd return after the international break. And then there's the question at centre-back, where in the last two games... All three of Pinnock, Janssen and Winston Reid have been available and it's been Janssen and Reid starting with Pinnock on the bench, which is a bit of a head-scratcher, I think, for those who have, who have admired the Janssen-Pinnock partnership for the last two seasons. So, yeah, plenty to be interested in here. Brentford's results over this weekend will, will have a big bearing on whether they'll head into the, well, the, the crunch time, I guess, still looking at those automatic places or maybe having to adapt their approach to make sure they're peaking in time for the playoffs. Talking of those playoffs, George, you're looking at another team in the playoff places. Yeah, Reading are the team that I'm looking at at the moment. And I mean, I spoke a second ago about teams where maybe the narrative doesn't really reflect what's going on there. And, and Reading, I think, are one of those because all season their campaign has been somewhat skewed by what was an incredible start, winning six or seven games on the trot. And if we go back and look at their... Look at the Championship League table if you started it on October the 30th, which is just before um, Reading first lost the game this season after that winning run. They'd be in 11th place and they'd be as close to Wickham, who'd be in 24th, as they would be to Watford in second with a negative goal difference, two of minus one and 17 points fewer than Barnsley, who is the side they come up against on Good Friday. So... You can see there that, you know, that's not to take anything away from Reading. They got those wins. It was the same side under the same manager in Vyko Paunovic and they're worth just as much as any victories now. But it might suggest that thoughts of, of Reading, certainly a couple of weeks ago, being a, a possible threat to the automatic places has, has unsurprisingly dissipated. And now they've got a bit of a challenge on their hands maintaining their their place in the playoffs at the moment. I mean, against Barnsley on Good Friday, Paddy Power have Barnsley as the favourites, unsurprisingly, at 13-10, to 10, with Reading 11-5, to 5, and a draw 21-10. to 10. There is some good news, though, for Reading. They've had a couple of injury issues as of late, and Michael Morrison and Andy Eardham could both be back for the weekend's action. 
And also some good news on the horizon, if not for this weekend. Uh, Reading fans thinking that John Swift would be out for the remainder of the season, but Paunovic now saying that he could be fit, not for this weekend, but fairly soon, which would be a massive bonus because they've really struggled to replace his creativity with a lot of that responsibility falling on Oviazaria and Michael O'Lease, and especially with Lucas Schaub blowing hot and cold as we know he can do and at the moment it's been a little bit cold at times I think they need another creative force in there they played Barnsley on the second game of their championship season and they won that 2-0 with both Michael Hellick and Mads Anderson being sent off for Barnsley but this is a very different Barnsley side under Valerian Ishmael than it was under um, Gerhard Struber and then Derby at home on Monday I think is the key one because you know, as the odds suggests, I think Reading will do very well not to drop any points uh, against Barnsley on Friday. And that Derby game suddenly becomes a bit of a must-win at home. And I can see that being one where they have to win in order to not even just keep their place in the playoffs, but keep in touch with those around them. So a really significant weekend of action for Reading. Uh, and it wouldn't be a massive surprise to me. You know, you say I've chosen the team in the playoff places. It wouldn't be a huge shock to me if they're not there anymore mm. come Monday evening. Um, Born, Bournemouth, Cardiff, Middlesbrough, all yeah. circling, aren't they? Those those three teams looking to, to to exploit any dropped points for Reading. But I think the relegation battle in the Championship is worth going over with a fine tooth comb. And I'm going to start by looking at Rotherham. I mean, they are, I think, from a neutral's perspective, the most interesting team, the most significant team in the relegation battle at the moment. They play Millwall on Friday and Wickham at home on Monday. In terms of the table, for those who haven't been studying it quite as closely as us, it, it's it's a pretty bizarre situation. Rotherham in the relegation places, 22nd, three points behind Birmingham City with four games in hand. Now, I don't think a team has ever had four games in hand at this stage of the season in the modern era. We're in uncharted territory and therefore I think there's plenty we, we don't know and are going to find pretty hard to predict at this stage. The obvious issue with scheduling has been sorted. There was a, a floating match, which was unscheduled because there, there wasn't an obvious slot for it. Um, but it's been scheduled for a, a Thursday, which means there's a week where they'll play Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. In fact, starting this Friday, their schedule until the end of the season is insane. Friday, Monday, Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. And, and when I say there are things that we just can't really predict, I mean, what are the physical and mental limits of a squad that has used the second fewest players in the league where among 20 players and staff tested positive for COVID just a few weeks ago, whose style of play is naturally and, and inherently high tempo, high intensity based on speed and winning duels and winning second balls. <sighs> You know, it's easy to worry that the schedule will have a huge impact on what Rotherham are able to do on the pitch, but they've been proving people wrong all season. Just in their last game, they went to Ashton Gate after that COVID break. There were concerns they would be tired, that they'd been at their limit, and they won 2-0. So, you know, if anyone in this division can can prepare a team both physically in terms of planning for the, rec the correct recovery and training schedule, it's the former fitness coach, Paul Warren. 
but also he leads with such emotional intelligence as well that you have to have quite a lot of hope that he'll be able to guide his side through this uh, on both the physical and mental level. Even after this weekend, they'll still have four games in hand, which is crazy. With Birmingham playing Swans and Brentford, two teams in the top four, and Rotherham playing Millwall and Wickham, could they have closed that three-point gap by Monday before Birmingham even play on Tuesday? You know, things could be looking pretty rosy for Rotherham, but they they can't rest on their laurels and just assume that they'll get points because they have games in hand. They have to go out there and do it. And a, a nice wrinkle this weekend on Monday is that against Wickham, they are the eight to eleven favourites with Paddy Power, with Wickham sixteen to five, the draw thirteen to five. George, that is the only time all season that Rotherham have been odds on to win a game. And let's see how they cope with that pressure. They did beat Wickham. On opening day, the, the team that they, one of two teams they came up with last season as well. They're not the only team, you know, who could punch their way out of the relegation battle. Sheffield Wednesday on the agenda. Yeah, and they're, they're coming up against a team on Friday who've been odds on at home a lot and are again in Watford, <laughs> who are four to nine favourites for the Friday for the Friday game. Sheffield Wednesday five to one, the draw three to one. And Wednesday are a pretty interesting proposition to analyse at the moment. Darren Moore came in. We've spoken a fair bit on the podcast. I'm not going to bore the regular listeners uh, about the improvements that we saw under Moore early on, uh, which didn't necessarily play out in terms of the scorelines. But that changed. Last time we saw them, we saw them beat the informed Barnsley side as the out-of-form team in the league, of course, in the championship, uh, winning that game at Oakville. Darren Moore's been playing something of kind of a 3-4-3 at the moment with Windass and Patterson in behind Rhodes, playing fairly narrowly with Adam Reach and either Kadeem Harris. Uh, well, normally Kadeem Harris but with the width on the right-hand side as well. And Reach's form at the moment has been fairly key for me. He's not a player that I've necessarily always bought into, but he seems to be the creative outlet who's getting uh, Sheffield Wednesday into the kind of positions they want to be getting and we're probably struggling to under Gary Monk and Tony Pulis. Now, the championship, Ali, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the championship went mainstream in the last week or so with popular football podcast uh, Zonal Marking uh, (laughs) covering the championship uh, with host Alexander Maxwell and Tom Warville (laughs) going through all of the... He's excellent, the host, uh, going through the championship teams. And when you're looking at what each manager has done differently, we can see Monk and Pulis in terms of the XG per shot. So you're looking at how good a chance on average their shots are. Under Monk, it was 0.078, which is very, very low. That maintained under Tony Pulis, where it was 0.08 XG per shot. And under Moore, it's gone up to 0.12. Now, that might not sound like a massive improvement, but over the course, you know, if you maximise your shot volume very quickly, that, that can translate into much higher XG numbers throughout games. And when you think that Jordan Rhodes is now getting a run of form, when you think that creative players such as Adam Reach are getting in, getting into decent positions, it's not a massive surprise that this has helped with Moore. Kadeem Harris said in the press this week that Moore is a player's dream. And I think it's easy to see that even though it's just one win, the momentum and in terms of the way that the Sheffield Wednesday feel like the direction they're going under, under Moore is totally different than under both Monk and Pulis. And even though both games this weekend, Watford, who've won their last five home games by an aggregate score of 14-1 and have only dropped points in four games of Vicarage Road this season. And then Cardiff, who, you know, they may not have been able to continue that running form, that that winning run of form when Mick McCarthy first took over, but they've still only lost one game under him. And last time out, we saw them beat Swansea away from home. This is going to be very, very difficult. But 
I think from what we've seen so far and the noises coming out of Wednesday, I wouldn't write them off over these two games. You know, they are still going to come out swinging and they still believe that they can get out of this mess under their new manager. Interesting stuff. And yeah, I would recommend that anyone who feels like international break has taken away something of a championship football fix in, in content purposes, then please do go and listen to that Zonal Marking podcast with the excellent Alexander Maxwell and, and Thomas Warville. Um, we took a look at <laughs> all 24 championship teams in the space of one hour. And they said it couldn't be done. And, and arguably, maybe it couldn't. Uh, but we did our best. And, and, and I would recommend listening to that over on the Zonal Marking podcast feed. But that's the championship sorted. Obviously, so much going on. Uh, so many more interesting fixtures. We could be here all day. But those are the key ones, we think, to keep your eye on. Next up, it's the magnificent, the maddening, the confusing League One. At Paddy Power, we know there are plenty of risks in football. Parking the bus at 1-0, signing that promising youngster for 50 million, or predicting Pep's lineups for your fantasy team. But at Paddy Power, we don't want you to take unnecessary risks. So when you sign up for a new account, you'll get your first bet up to £10 risk-free. That's money back as cash if it loses. Paddy Power. New customers only. Deposit using cards or via Apple Pay. First bet on sportsbook markets only. Minimum deposit. Max refund £10. Online exclusive. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell. Into League One then and before we get on to our picks for the weekend, a quick result update for you as last night Gillingham beat Wigan 1-0 with, of course, it was that man, Vidane Oliver, with the goal. Suddenly the most prolific League One striker after seasons of being nothing of the sort. So they move into the playoffs as it stands, although most of the teams below them do have a few games in hand, as I think we're going to discuss in a second. So let's get into our picks, Ali. And they call him Streaky Lee. Is this just another streak? <laughs> well, that's what we're going to find out. This was the easiest selection of the whole weekend, the team I will be focusing on most across the whole EFL this weekend. And I say team, by which I mean Sunderland, but I could be talking about their opposition as well. This is perfect for the Feaster weekend preview. Here are the points in League One since Lee Johnson took charge of Sunderland. First, Sunderland with 43 points. Second, Oxford United with 42 points. Third, Peterborough United with 41 points. And Sunderland's fixtures this weekend... Oxford at home on Friday, Peterborough away <laughs> on Monday. Oh boy, do we like that. But you're right. I mean, it's a hell of a streak and maybe this will be the streak that never ends. I mean, Sunderland are 10 unbeaten in the league. In that time, of course, they've also won a trophy at Wembley in the Papa John's trophy. They're just two points outside the automatic promotion spots with a game in hand. And I think something that's become pretty evident outside of the obvious, which is that Ada McGeady's quality delivery is is just causing chaos for League One defences, that Charlie Wyke, among others, has a propensity for heading those crosses into the goal. But they're brilliant at managing games at nil-nil. That sounds like a weird thing to say, but they've only conceded the first goal once in their last 15 games. And I think that reflects really well on Lee Johnson, not just on his tactical setup to restrict the opposition, but unlike his predecessors, on actually going after and scoring that first goal as well. Six of their last eight wins have been by two goals or more as well. So to add to their good game management at 0-0, they don't let things get nervy. More often than not, they're getting that second goal and they're easing to victory. And 
a bit like another team we're going to talk about later in Portsmouth. It's just chalk and cheese to under previous management. Now, Lee Johnson himself is not getting carried away. He was quite clear after their win last weekend against Bristol Rovers that he thinks performances could be better. He'd like to see his team creating more chances in open play um, going forward, but he's got to be happy with how solid they are defensively, especially as there have been so many injuries in their back line. In this good run, they've beaten some decent teams, Doncaster and Portsmouth, although I would argue they played them at a good time uh, if you look at their runs of form and managerial departures and changes. And then it's mostly bottom half sides that they've beaten. So the big challenge this weekend is that this is a bigger test. It's a huge four days for Sunderland and for their season. Oxford, of course, won't be an easy game at all off the back of a win against Lincoln last weekend. But it's Monday against a posh side that won their last game 7-0 that I think looks an absolute cracker. Live on Sky on Monday afternoon, the game of the weekend in my eyes anyway, just two points between them heading into the weekend with Sunderland having played a game less. So when we do this podcast next week, we'll know so much more about how likely Sunderland are to return to the championship and whether this streak is still alive. Paddy Power can't call that game at all right now. The odds of Peterborough at 8-5 to five and Sunderland at 13-8 to eight reflect that they really, really cannot pick it. Um, and that's, you know, that for me in EFL terms makes this just the perfect match. So Sunderland at home to Oxford on Friday, away to Peterborough on Monday. You're going to be hearing a lot about Lee Johnson's Sunderland Sharks this weekend. <laughs> yeah, Ali, I think both you and I have been looking at the date tables in the EFL today because you speak <laughs> about uh, since Lee Johnson came in. I spoke earlier about the table uh, when talking about Reading and that was the Halloween table. And if we use that same Halloween parameter in League One, and we start the season at Halloween, who would be in third? It would be Blackpool behind both Sunderland and Posh. And actually, there would only be two points behind those two, and they'd have two games in hand. So on PPG, since the end of October, Blackpool have been the best team in League One. And even though they are just outside of the playoffs because of that Gillingham win, they've played four games fewer than Gillingham. They're heavily odds-on to finish in the top six. And I think this is a case where as we said a long, long time ago on this podcast, the table does lie. Even <laughs> though they might be sitting outside the top six right now, Blackpool, they are very, very close to... I mean, it's now a case of consolidation rather than uh, chasing the pack. And they have two interesting games on the weekend. They're playing against Swindon and the Sheridan Aesons continued apace uh, last weekend with another victory. Back-to-back wins now for John Sheridan and Swindon as they try and get out of the drop zone and then Gillingham on Monday and Gillingham as we've discussed currently four points ahead sorry currently one point ahead of them having played four games more that is going to be the most important game of Gillingham season so far because even though they're in sixth place at the moment the chance of them breaking into that playoff picture remains quite slim despite what some Gillingham fans may think but wins against the teams around them is going to be the way to do it and Blackpool have been so impressive this season, but coming into this one, there are a couple of concerns. Probably the most concerning being CJ Hamilton's injury. Uh, he's recently yeah. come back to the side after a fairly long period of time out, but he's now ruled out till the end of the season, and that is a massive blow. Although they do have quality on the flanks with Kai Kai and Mitchell, both providing the ammo for Jerry Yates, who's been in great goal-scoring form. Their defensive record has been very strong as well. And the 3-1 win over Peterborough a couple of weeks ago just served to show that they are there on merit and they probably have the staying power to maintain this promotion push. The odds 
reflect that they're expected to continue this form. They are 19 to 20 favourites to go and beat Swindon with Swindon 14 to 5 and the draw 12 to 5 with Paddy Power. They look to me like a side who are probably just out of touch in terms of being able to force their way into the promotion picture. I think we're now going to have to see a different Neil Critchley side. They looked a little bit poorer in their last game against Plymouth Argyle at home. Game I think most people expected them to win against a, a team who are pretty out of form. But they are not going to be able to, to drop many points now. And But a continuation of what we've seen so far should mean that they get into that top six home and hosed fairly comfortably. I'm just looking forward to seeing if Steve Evans can get under Neil Critchley's skin because he's a he's a very calm <laughs> character, Critchley. But Evans is absolutely on one at the moment. He's just leaving a trail of destruction and, and angry opposition managers and fans and players behind uh, as Gillingham fire their way into the playoff places for the moment, at least. Um, I'm sticking around the top. I'm talking about Pompey. Rochdale at home on Friday and Wigan away on Monday. Two sides very much in the relegation picture. So while Portsmouth themselves are looking for promotion, their games this weekend will have a big impact on the relegation picture as well, which as we know in League One, and as you're about to tell us uh, in a minute, is just murkier and murkier, tenser and tenser. Things could not have started much better, could they, for Danny and Nicky Cowley heading in and replacing Kenny Jacket, or to be fair for the many, many fans who for quite a long time before Kenny Jacket's departure absolutely insisted that this squad had the personnel, had the quality to play a much more ambitious attacking style which would suit them as they look to achieve promotion. They've scored some brilliant goals already in their wins against Ipswich and Shrewsbury. And yeah, on, a, on more of an atmospheric level, there is all evidence that these players are, to use a classic EFL player term, Absolutely buzzing off the new gaffer. Um, <laughs> and if they play with the same intensity and quality in the final third against Rochdale and Wigan, I think those two sides should struggle to handle them. Both of them have been known for leaky defences this season, it's fair to say. It's one of the reasons why they're down there. But at the same time, it's kind of like all bets are off in these games. Both of those teams are going to be fighting with such ferocity to stay up, to get any points in these games that any slippage or complacency for Pompey and they could be caught out. You know, unsurprisingly, they're strong favourites for both of these games. They're two to one on to beat Rochdale and four to five to beat Wigan. But there's one big, big wrinkle, and that is that they don't have a striker. And Danny Cowley loves to play a 4-2-3-1. And all evidence suggests that although it's wrong to call him a long ball manager, and we've, we always make that point, he's a real horses for courses manager, he has in the past got the best out of a strong number nine who has, you know, the ability to not necessarily to be a target man winning a lot of flick-ons and aerial duels, but just to bring others into play and play with his back to goal. But John Marquis is banned for three games, sent off last weekend harshly, we thought, but not overturned by the panel. Ellis Harrison and Jordi Hawula are both injured. So who plays up front? They don't really have a, a natural number number nine. They're absolutely spoiled for choice with with quality and informed players in wide areas and in midfield. So it'd be interesting to see what impact um, this will have on them. I, I think it's tempting to think that if Pompey win both of their games, and as we know, they're heavily favoured to do so, they might start thinking about a late dart at the automatic places. I probably prefer to be a little bit more cautious and suggest that at the moment, while they're in fifth at the top of a group of nine teams separated by just five points, the first task is just to pull clear of that group below, put some daylight 
between them and, and you know, still most likely a playoff spot is going to be what comes at the beginning of May. But regardless, the best thing for me as a neutral is that Pompey games have gone from a pretty tough watch to absolutely recommended viewing. So if you can catch a Pompey game against Dale or against Wigan this Easter weekend, I would recommend doing so. Rochdale and Wigan, George striving for every point. The same can certainly be said for AFC Wimbledon. Hmm. Yeah, let's have a little look at the bottom of League One because it's getting pretty tense. I'm going to start with Swindon in 19th, who are on 37 points. Then you've got Northampton just outside the drop zone on 36. Level with the team I'm going to talk about, who are also on 36, by one goal on goal difference behind Cobblers at the moment. Wigan on 35 and 22nd. Bristol Rovers 34 in, in 23rd. And then Brian Barry Murphy's Rochdale on 32, but from 36. So having two games in hand on most sides, except for AFC Wimbledon. And for Wimbledon, this feels like a big weekend. I know I've said it about most teams I'm talking about, <laughs> but last weekend felt massive they played against cobblers they scored in the 88th minute through their talisman and star player joe piggott and then nikola tsanev made a penalty save right at the death and this is afc wimbledon looking to create new memories at the new plow lane fans not there yet but i think this the scenes we saw at the end of that game certainly the first hopefully of many happy memories at the club and that has given them a bit more of a chance of getting out of this and they're still you know, very, very hard to beat under the new manager, Mark Robinson. You know, they, that was their first win in eight, but there have been some promising signs. They've drawn five games in that run. And of the five draws, one was a nil-nil and they came from behind five times. Now, we often talk about AFC Wimbledon as a team who show a lot of character and it's always pretty hard to measure that. And I always kind of raise my uh, raise my eyebrows when I hear people saying this and thinking how can you really measure passion and character but when you've got a side who are consistently battling back from losing positions often with late goals saving penalties in the last minute we saw the reaction on the uh, from the players after that win uh, we know that as a club you know they um, they they've often turned it around in this league before I think we might be starting to see another occasion where <laughs> AFC Wimbledon are going to fight their way out of trouble in League One hey, the two George, games just they've quickly got, What's better than fighting your way back, having gone behind? Just winning games. Just going ahead. There you go. Wouldn't well, it be yeah. great if they showed the same passion and character at nil? Well, now? Ali, what did they do? <laughs> what did they do on last weekend? They did do that, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's progress. What um, chance they do the same against Argyle and Fleetwood this weekend? Well, in terms of chances, Plymouth uh, Argyle are the 23 to 20 favourites. Beautiful segue. 12 to 5 to draw, 23 to 10. Uh, for AFC Wimbledon. It's going to be an interesting game, that, because it's it's a pretty massive clash of styles at the moment. You know, AFC Wimbledon looking to keep it very, very tight, keep games down to uh, to low-scoring affairs as it stands, although we have seen them have a couple of uh, high-scoring affairs fairly recently as well. Uh, whereas Plymouth, every game, you're expecting a bit of a basketball match, a game that's going to be end-to-end with Plymouth putting the onus on attacking but being pretty porous. So interesting to see how that one plays out. And then they host uh, Fleetwood, who are continuing to look pretty assured under Simon Grayson, who's recently signed a new long-term contract after his uh, initial short-term appointment too. So it's going to be difficult um, for sure. They have a difficult run in fixtures towards the end of the season as well. Only Swindon and Rochdale, the two sides, they're playing around them. So it's not going to be easy enough for them just to look at picking up points against the teams around them. They're going to have to win games against teams higher up the league. Um, But I do think we're seeing an improvement in terms of their 
what they're doing on the pitch and having a decent defensive record, being able to keep teams at arm's length at this stage can count for so much. So yeah, big weekend for AFC Wimbledon and hopefully they can build on those great scenes from uh, from last weekend. You've heard of Radio One's big weekend. This is League One's big weekend. <laughs> so much going on. There, There is one team with something of an extended break this weekend. MK Dons' game against Lincoln has been postponed. Dons have been on fire recently. Four wins in a row. And we've got a bit of a favourite, I think. Ethan Laird, on loan from Manchester United, has been... He's been delighting us both with his skill on the pitch, but also uh, his vibrancy in interviews. So we managed to get him on this week's pod. George caught up with MK Dons defender Ethan Laird. We're delighted to be joined by Ethan Laird today. Ethan, I think it's fair to say anybody who follows the EFL closely has been very much enjoying both your performances on the pitch and your interviews off them as well. So, <laughs> So no pressure here. We're expecting some fireworks in this interview, I've got to say. <laughs> how, how are you enjoying the experience of uh, uh, playing first-team football and being out on loan and played on? Yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm buzzing. Like Every time I go into training, <laughs> I'm just smiling at her. Really, um, <laughs> you, can, you can see from the interviews I have, but honestly, enjoying every moment of it. It's just something that was needed like, as part of my journey. So I'm just taking everything as it comes, really. How much did you know about the, the gaffer, Russell Martin, about MK Dons, about, you know, we're going to talk about the style of football in a second, but going back to you know, the back end of last year before you came on the loan, what did you know about the club and, and the manager? To be fair, I knew about the club just because I know about football. Um, the manager yeah. itself, as in Russ, <laughs> yeah. the manager as in Russ, um, I didn't really know too much about until I did my research. And I was like, oh, OK. And then... Um, just fell into play with that because I know um, he knows Darren Fletcher and obviously these times um, Darren was just like getting integrated with the club so he's coming in with like the little training sessions and that before he was like appointed uh, his job but um, yeah so I just knew that they knew of each other and whatnot and next thing you know I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think I mean obviously you you, know, you have load managers at Manchester United and things. Do you think the, the way that MK Dons operate on the pitch makes the club an attractive proposition for clubs like Manchester United to send their players to? Completely. But the, the thing is that it's not just Man United. Like The way we play, is, it's my idea of playing football. It's quite a lot of people's idea of playing football. I mean, it's brave. It's showing confidence. And it's knowing that all of our team are ball players. And like, it was kind of showing that. Um, I mean, yeah, of course, it's an attractive way of football, but it's just the way football should be played. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Man United would look at that and be like, well, I've had a few conversations with the low managers and they're very like impressed with the way they play and whatnot um, because it just it helps, as in like young players, to develop that type of the physicality of League One, but also like the composure as well of being on the ball when someone's on your back trying to throw you off the ball, you, you get to deal with it. Um, but yeah, honestly, it's it's a way it's an attractive way of playing football, but it's just the way it should be played. Yeah, I definitely agree. But but it's interesting for us, you know, we cover the leagues and we know that you know we talk about Russell Martin likes to play this way and and, the, and Kedons make the make the pitch massive. They play incredibly brave football. We know all that stuff. But as a player, can you kind of lift the lid to us on how a manager goes about implementing a style of football? What do you guys do on the training pitch day in day out that would be different and give you the 
I don't know, the, the, the bravery, the, the belief that you can go out and play a way that we don't normally see in League One. Yeah, I mean, they the the boss gives us confidence. Like, listen, if you were, <laughs> like, he believes in us, so he wouldn't just throw a style of play that we can't play, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously he believes in what we can do and what we are as a team to even play that way. And that's his method and it's working. Um, I mean, I I I felt as soon as I came in, obviously I was kind of a bit surprised because I knew we played football, but not to that extent. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is what we're gonna do. And obviously, like I'd say, get some getting used to, but to be honest, it's just getting used to it as a team, like certain positions where we have to be um, at certain times. Like you said, we like to spread the pitch as much as possible uh, to give ourselves like space to play, um, and then. There's just certain places where, for example, me as a wide player, it's like, okay, cool. I need to get out very wide to give the midfield space to drop in, make a third man run in behind, just stuff like that. It's just, it's kind of easy once you get your head round it kind of thing. Mm. Um, But then that's where like the team chemistry comes up because then we react off other players or what they do. A player, a midfielder might come in then it's like, okay, cool. I'll go out kind of thing. But yeah, in training, it's just, it's kind of simple to be fair. He, he, the way he like um, puts it out there, tells us what we need to do. It's kind of simple. You, you, it's easy to get your head around. Um, it's just like doing it on the pitch, really. Training is <laughs> different than playing on the pitch because you have teams that will literally change the way they play just to stop you from doing what you're doing. Um, so it's just finding a way around that and whatnot. Um, but apart from that, yeah, I mean, it, it's... It's kind of simple because the way they like demonstrate it, whatnot, you just get it like that. We had Russell Martin on the podcast a few months ago and he spoke to us about the process behind the scenes and the reason why he wants to play the way he does. And you know, me and Ali speak a lot on podcasts about the data side of things and looking at the numbers. And I'm interested yeah. to know, I mean, you're a young player who's coming through at one of the best academies in world football. You're now playing under, in my opinion, one of the most progressive young managers in English football who both, I'm, I'm assuming at United, there's a kind of a, there are lots of data analysis within the academy as well. So, how much is the data side of things part of your, you know, your growth as a footballer at the moment, or do you still feel like most of your your work is done on the pitch and that's all going on behind the scenes? Um, a bit both, because there's obviously you need to do stuff on the pitch for it <laughs> to even come in. It, um, but like the data part, it just gives you it kind of shows you what's going right, what's not going right, right kind of thing. Um, so it kind of helps you pick up on the little stuff. Um, and that can also help your game because then you'll realise, okay, this is happening, that's happening, just individually-wise, because just doing data analysis on yourself and what's going on, you kind of work out what's right, what's wrong. And within the team as well, there's certain stuff where you be like, okay, well, if that's saying this, I'm going to do this instead kind of thing. Um, so, of course, they both have a hand to play, but um, I like to focus on the, on the pitch being so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're a player who, it strikes me, both in terms of the way that you play, you know, you're somebody who would get fans excited in the stadium. And I'm, I'm guessing by your kind of demeanour and your personality, you're somebody who would love to play in front of fans as well. Uh, how excited are you to be playing first-team football? Hopefully, you know, next season or maybe even if you're you know if MK Don's really going to run in the in the playoffs with fans there as well. I'm thriving off it. Like. <laughs> I, just think, I go to I go to sleep thinking about it. <laughs> like, honestly um I, I'm a I'm a player that 
thrives off fans and whatnot um, because that's just the type of player I am. Like, when you're hearing, like, the roar of the fans, whatnot, when you're dribbling down the wing, because obviously when I, I've kind of had a little experience of it when I had a couple 20 minute, uh, well, I had a 20 minutes yeah. spell at um, Old Trafford. Mm. Um, and then the roar that you hear there, it's like, oh my gosh, like, there's nothing like it. Um, so, see, I just don't know what to expect because I don't know what to hit, like what I'll hear and whatnot. But I'm guessing if it's anything like that, well, I'm going to be thriving off it. But obviously, it's just a bit unfortunate because of COVID and whatnot that we haven't had that now. I believe it's coming in May if we get mm. playoffs, right? Yeah. Um, well, we just got to keep keep winning games, see what happens. So you, you've laid down the marker there to MK Dons fans. They've got to recreate Old Trafford at Stadium MK if, uh, <laughs> if you get there. <laughs> but I, I, I was going to ask you about the playoffs because, you know, we, we've been pretty smitten with, with what MK Dons have been doing this season so far in terms of, of the football being played. But it's always felt like the playoffs have probably been a little bit out of reach. But looking at the league table today, you're not far off teams who are kind of well in the mix and it does feel like you're probably a couple of wins away from suddenly being a team who could sneak in. I mean, what is there chat going on in the dressing room that you could get there? Is the manager saying this is our aim or is it just, you know, take one, two game chunks at a time? We're just here to enjoy our football and then enjoying football means winning. So we're going to win as many games as possible. We're not going to, we're not really giving ourselves like a target target, but we just want to, continue enjoying our football because like Russ says it's a process um, so we're just trying to keep enjoying our football and just get as many wins as possible and then we'll see what the outcome is Ethan before I let you go I'm just going to ask you about your future not necessarily in terms of whether or not you're going to be staying um, at MK Dons next season because of course it's too early to talk about that but Connor Alden who's a youth football expert that we like a lot once described you fairly recently as a player who had the highest ceiling of anyone in your position in the England youth ranks you're somebody who I'm sure it's still pretty ambitious in terms of what you want to do in the game. And you know, we've seen a lot of very talented players with, with similar attributes with you to you on the right-hand side really push on at Premier League clubs where they broke through, looking at Reese James, Trent Alexander-Arnold, players like that. Where do you want to be? Like, Do you still have ambitions to be Manchester United's choice in that position as soon as possible? Or are you just taking it, you know, look for next season, maybe um, stay at MK? Or, or, and how, how do you see the next couple of years going? Um, of course, I I, I wanna. I, I've been in the academy for almost like nine nine years now, nine ten years. So that's always been my aim to play at the third gene, being the number one right back. Um, and obviously, that's what I'm gonna strive for. Um, what happens in between that? That's just part of the journey. But that's what I'm willing to look for. Like, I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, but obviously, the main goal is always to play for Manchester United and get that spot, hopefully, um, as soon as possible. Um, but time will tell. Time will tell. Well, we're all rooting for you, Ethan. Great to chat to you today and best of luck till the end of the season. Thank you. See you later, George. Ethan Laird of MK Dons there. Sad not to be able to watch them against Lincoln this weekend, that game having been postponed. But on Monday, they travelled to Crewe and that one certainly be a great one to watch for the neutral. Two very good footballing sides. But that's it for a jam-packed League One this week. After this, we're heading to League Two. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football League show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Last stop on this Easter tour of the EFL, but before we get there, Carlisle and Crawley did battle on Tuesday night with Beach Ball coming back with a 2-0 win over Yemo's men. They're now one of four teams on 51 points, but down in 11th, six points off the playoffs, so probably out of the running, you'd think at the moment. Famous last words, maybe. Teams very much in the running for the automatic promotions spots though are the two we're going to talk about I'm going to take Bolton in a second Ali but you're going to kick us off with Keith Hills Tranmere yeah two teams in white very much in our crosshairs this weekend I'll start with (laughs) the super white army as they're known they start the weekend in third spot the last automatic promotion spot but with three sides circling below Bolton Forest Green Morecambe not far off all gunning for a top three position and they're playing against the two teams above them so I mean (laughs) That's pretty much all I need to say. These games are absolutely <laughs> huge and they are between the league's best teams. Tranmere playing Cheltenham away on Friday and Cambridge at home on Monday. Now, a lot of the focus around Tranmere at the moment is not on how much they've improved under Keith Hill and flown up to the top of the table. But sadly, it's to do with injuries. It's to do with who they're missing at the moment. James Vaughan, who's been out with a knee injury, he's got the best goal-scoring rate in in the league this season in terms of, of goals per 90, although obviously a fair few behind Paul Mullin. But also, captain and goalkeeper Scott Davies ruled out for the rest of the season after picking up an Achilles injury last weekend. So 39-year-old Joe Murphy will step in for Davies, but no one's really filled James Vaughan's boots, not even a 35-year-old Dave the Difference Nugent. And that could be an issue for them. But I'd prefer to focus on the positives in life and in Tranmere Rovers analysis. Um, They've still got some great players and some match winners. And I think under Keith Hill, they've been really impressive in general. They've got players capable of moments of magic in the final third. Uh, Otis Khan, who's been playing right back. Kieran Morris, Kane Woolery, Liam Feeney. All of these guys at this level can do special things. And... Even just in general, they don't rely on superstars. They don't rely on someone doing a bit of genius in the final third. They're just a good team under Keith Hill. I've absolutely no doubt that even without their keeper and their striker, they'll be very competitive in both games. I think these will both be very, very tight games. And I guess the question is just how much will those absences impact them? You know, it could be the difference between a narrow defeat and a draw or a draw and a defeat. And when you're playing against the top two and you're in third... Those points make such a big difference at this stage. They are outsiders for the Cheltenham game at 13-5, to but they're favourites against Cambridge at 6-5 to with Paddy Power. And so while there might be a bit of pessimism heading into it, I think I agree with Paddy Power. I think Tramier will win one and lose one. Again, the results will be crucial, George, not least because of all the teams circling below them. We've basically got the form team in the country here, don't we? 
We do in Bolton. 35 points from their last possible 39. I mean, I've got to be careful here because I don't want to take anything away. I don't want any Bolton fans to listen to this thinking, why is he not giving us the praise that we deserve? Because they <laughs> good, do deserve good start. praise. Good start. No, they sure do deserve praise. But I think a really telling stat from this, and I'll ask you, Ali, in this run of in this run of games that we've seen them have in these eleven victories from their last thirteen, how many of them do you reckon they've won by two goals or more? Two goals or more. I think they've won three games by two goals or more. And Ali, that is why you are an EFL expert because the oh, correct wow. answer is three. <laughs> and that, you know, th- three points is three points. You know, I- I'm not here to say that this is. Um, we're taking anything away from what they've done. My point is more that this incredible run of form is probably unsustainable. They they cannot continue to just eke out the fine margins. You know, they, they probably would do these. We saw early in the season, a lot of kind of low margin games going against them. They lost plenty early on in the season. And Ian Everett is currently reaping the rewards for sticking to his beliefs and sticking to his systems. But let's not suddenly think that this is a Bolton side who are suddenly flexing their muscles and showing their superiority in every single aspect. They are very, very solid defensively. We saw them last time uh, against Forest Green, which was live on Sky. I watched the whole game and, you know, it didn't help Forest Green that Jamil Matt went off injured with one of the most horrific injuries I've basically ever seen on a football pitch um, early on. Um, but even so... Bolton scored as Owen Doyle does with pretty much the only good chance they created in the game and then they were able just to basically sit either in possession or out of possession and look pretty comfortable with Forest Green never really threatening too much um, to get back into it and that's what this Bolton side do they are a team who are never going to score hatfuls of goals who don't really look to play particularly um, attacking football they're happy to keep the ball in defence as I say unlike early in the season they're also happy to sit drop in a bit deeper if the opposition decide that they want to keep it for a bit and it's working at the moment this weekend they've got two very different games they've got Colchester United who will be playing under Hayden Mullins for his first game in caretaker charge after he replaced Wayne Brown as the caretaker manager after Brown failed to really improve anything since the departure of, of Steve Ball so maybe not ideal for um you know this is a guy who's got pretty good coaching pedigree you know he was a caretaker manager in the premier league for watford not so long ago um you know colchester made the change looking for a reaction from their players and then they've got newport away on monday now this is a newport side who are currently five points behind bolton um but still within touching distance of the automatic promotion places and whilst it would be a huge surprise to see Colchester stop the Bolton juggernaut as it is at the moment, Newport certainly will provide a pretty stern test for them as well. And it feels like anything could really happen for Bolton come Monday evening. They could win both games and cement their place as probably the most likely winners of, of the division. Or they could drop points in both and pretty quickly they would then fall away from the automatic race and then be looking over their shoulders to make to make sure that they maintain their top seven position as well. So it's it's important. In terms of my analysis, I would say this is a very, very good side on a remarkably good run. And that run will probably come to an end between now and the end of the season. They'll just be hoping that it's not an elongated season and that they've done enough to, to finish in those top three positions and get back into League One that way. We're going to go down to the bottom now because it's tight. It's tight, isn't it? And, it, and it's an interesting one. And George, if you were Bolton and you, for, for whatever reason, looked at your... Easter weekend fixture list in the mirror, you'd have Barrow's fixtures because they're playing Newport on Friday <laughs> and Colchester 
on Monday. So clearly, maybe we should have focused on Newport and Cole U instead of Bolton and Barrow. <laughs> no, look, I just think Barrow are confusing and fascinating in equal measure at the moment. We've spoken at length about the run they went on under Rob Kelly's caretaker management. He's got the reins to the end of the season. Barrow's record under him this season is that of a top half side and their record under other managers, Michael Jolly and David Dunn, is of a relegation side. But they have lost their last two games. And Friday's game is important for both sides. Newport, as you mentioned, they're in that last last playoff spot uh, and they've lost their last two games against teams below them. So plenty riding on it from an Exiles point of view, but Barrow as well. That four wins in a row followed by two defeats. And if you look a little deeper at them, I'm not that concerned based on the performances that their defeat against Stevenage was was narrow, a late penalty, not a ton in the game in general. It was the loss against Grimsby before that that was a little more damaging just because it was against a team trying to chase them down. But another game on, on pretty fine margins. Barrow still in a strong position to stay up. They've got points, games in hand, and arguably form on their side compared to the teams below them and with Cole Yu, who they play on Monday. And that's the big one. There's only one point between those two sides. And while they're not in the relegation places, it feels like they are the most at risk if Southend and Grimsby can put together a run. And so this game on Monday is basically Barrow and Colchester desperately trying to sacrifice the other in order to save themselves, I suppose, to an extent. I'm very surprised that Paddy Power have Colchester as favourites to beat Barrow on Monday. A Colu side that have won one game in their last 22 are the 7-5 to favourites with Barrow at 19-10. to Yes, Colu have a new man in charge, Hayden Mullins. Can we confidently predict that their performance level will jump up hugely? I don't know, because we, we don't have much to go on with Mullins. Highly regarded coach, as you mentioned, caretaker with Watford last season, but he's been there at Colu all season. This isn't like they, they are bringing in an entirely new voice, someone just to shake things up. This is, as always with Colu, a continuation of promotion from within, and it's a, a trend that hasn't worked for the last few years. They've been declining. So fascinated to see how Hayden Mullins gets on and how he can improve things, and I hope he does well, because I do like a lot of what Colchester do off the field and in trying to develop young talent. But they've got it wrong this season on the field, that's fair to say. And Barrow in general, they're just a great representation of why this Feaster weekend feels so important and so exciting. Because all being well, George, they could be pretty relaxed about things by Monday night. But chuck in a few poor performances, a few poor results, and the tension will be ramped up. Obviously, when you're looking at the League 2 relegation battle... It's fair to say, George, it's grim at the bottom. Quite literally, <laughs> Grimsby are at the bottom. Do they head into this weekend in good nick? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, they're unbeaten in six. Can you believe it? They may have only won one of those six, but I think they'd, they'd have taken that, picking up points in pretty much every game at the moment. But there's no doubt that they have to turn those points into three points on occasion. Just looking at the bottom of League, of League Two at the moment, obviously we have to focus on the team propping up the rest of the EFL for this uh, special episode, and they are Grimsby on 32 points from 37. So a game in hand on South End, who have 35 points from 38. Then it's Barrow on 38 from 36. And Colchester, probably the ones that they're looking to be shooting at on 39 from 38. So Grimsby still... Seven points off Colchester, but if Colchester carry on picking up points to the rate they are at the moment, they're probably only going to end up on about 42. And with Grimsby having uh, nine games left of the season, 27 points to play for, and you know, given they haven't lost a game in six, is it all over? 
Probably, but they're going to keep fighting and they're going to try. Uh, you know, certainly not um, out of the question that a couple of wins could propel them out of this. Their fixtures are fairly tricky. You know, they've got Salford away on Friday. This is a Salford who've just sacked uh, manager Richie Wellens to bring in Gary Bowyer. Will we see a reaction there? And then one of the hardest games of the season that they're going to face is Cheltenham at home on Monday, a Cheltenham side who are the picture of consistency in League Two. And I'd be very, very surprised if Cheltenham aren't a League One side next season, irrespective of what happens in that game. But there are definitely reasons to be positive for Grimsby under Paul Hurst. They have been so much better so much better than um, under Ian Holloway earlier in the season. The squad that he's had to deal with is has looked fairly poor. He's managed to bring in a couple of key players. Stefan Payne uh, is part of a three-pronged attack with James Hansen and, and Lionel John Lewis. It's one of the most bizarre um, three th- forward threes in a 4-3-3 I think <laughs> we've ever seen uh, in the EFL. And then one area of concern, especially ahead of this weekend, is uh, Jay Matete, the loanee from Fleetwood, who's been really impressive since coming in, an energetic centre midfielder. He went off uh, in the first half against Walsall with a hip injury that he suffered before, and Paul Hurst does not seem very positive about his chances. And he also alluded in the local press that there are a couple more injury issues that he didn't want to disclose further information on. So a couple of red flags there, but... You know, they're a team who aren't conceding many goals, who have two really physical presences up top. And then Stefan Payne have somebody who is a pretty good finisher if given the uh, the service. They are on an upward trajectory. They have a team in Colchester who are so out of form that they have something to fire at. And I think there's a little bit more belief now than there was. It's just a shame for them that they were unable to hold on against Walsall because a win there would have brought Walsall back into it as well. But... Yeah, they've got nothing to lose here and all they can do is go out and continue to do what they do and uh, yeah, win. If they can pick up four points from this weekend, you'd think that would edge them closer to the to safety and then it's anyone's game for the for the last few. So um, yes, in long, a long answer to your question, Ali. Yes, they are in, in decent shape. And that's your fly through the EFL for this Easter weekend. We hope you enjoyed it and feel ready for the feast of football that's coming your way. Matt and the gang's celebration of Easter weekend will be on Tuesday on the Totally Football League show proper. They'll be going through it all and we'll be back again on Thursday for more. So we'll speak to you then. Goodbye and have a happy Easter. You've been listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.